Welcome to the August 2020 Centropic Alumni Open Call. Uh, our guest this month, Tyson Yunker-Porter, is uh, definitely somebody worth listening to. He is the author of Sand Talk, How Indigenous Thinking Can Save the World, a book that uh, sort of seeped into my being uh, and um, is very aligned with what we're doing at Centropic World. Uh, also, I presented a short model on clean communication, which is sort of one of the foundation pieces of the work that we do. Uh, we did also have a scheduled guest, Sarah Scott, uh, but she was unfortunately caught in technical issues and couldn't make it. I do hope you enjoy this call. If you'd like to learn more, please visit centropic.world. Uh, there are lots of different ways that we welcome engagement and involvement uh, most of them at uh, minimal to um, pay what you can type of fees. Uh, but we have a growing, a growing global community of incredible people who are really building centropic enterprise for a world with a future. We'd love you to join us. Thank you. Hey, how you doing? I'm really well, Tyson. Good to see you here. <laughs> Uh, yeah, sorry, I'm a bit of a flap. I've just um, everybody's left the, left the house, and I'm here on my own with this baby. Oh, great! <laughs> well, we've had, we've had chickens, um, and dogs and cats on call, so uh, and and grandchildren and children. So I'm sure we can manage. <laughs> <laughs> it's great to see you. Thank you for being here. Yeah, yeah. So what are we doing? Uh, we've got, well, we're waiting for people to come in. And so what would you like? Would you like to, would you like me to ask you some questions or would you like to talk for about um, Well, someone's speaking, you're speaking first, right? Yeah. And so I guess I can just build, I can just, uh, it's only 10 minutes. So I can just uh, riff off, yeah. uh, okay. pick up on themes that you've done so that there's a bit of continuity. Yeah. So okay. I'll just, um, yeah, I'll, I'll just riff off you. Okay, fantastic. Very good. <laughs> um, That'll be awesome, I'm sure. So yeah, we had about 134 people register, um, but we usually get about a third of that. So um, anyway, there's nice. some lovely new faces here. Fantastic, and some friends, Julie, David, Gail, nice to see you. Ron, good to see you too. And uh, uh, Joshua's in Taiwan, Sarah's in Tanzania. Um, I know that there are some people from Europe here as well. So we're sort of covering the globe. And hopefully, um, we're even going to have the Americas, which is in the middle of the night. Very, very um, uh, committed. So we're just going to wait a couple more minutes, um, two more minutes before I launch in and get started. Good to see your smiling face, Gail. Gail's also in Melbourne. Um, Gail, Ron, um, Tyson, Melbourne. Ema, great to see you. Connecting. Gina. Very good. Lovely. All these people. <laughs> Very exciting. So, um, Shalene, are you talking to me, Tyson? Because I can't hear you. 
So I, I've got another event like coming hot on the tail of this one. <laughs> so after, yeah, I'm, uh, so I'm talking for 10 minutes and then what? Um, coming back in after or um, well, I'll yeah. be able to drop out after a while or? Yeah, you'll be able, you'll be able to drop out after a while. Um, okay. Um, hear a little bit about what Sarah's doing in Tanzania. I think you'd be very interested in some of those things. Um, yeah, I hope so. Doing a lot of work in the um, the indigenous space in Tanzania as well. But um, okay, cool. But we finish right on the hour, um, so um, yeah. I, I keep this to time. But right, you know, no worries. Yeah, I understand that you're a a man in demand. Uh, oh, there's that, but it's also it's just like Beirut in my house today. It's um, it's it's huge. <laughs> There's kids, kids screaming all over the place. Everyone's just coming through, home through the door. So, all yeah, right, here I go. Well, no worries. We're human here before we're anything else. So, um, uh, that's 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 fine. Uh, uh, we're going to get started because it's right on the top of the hour. And so, I'm just going to do because I see a whole bunch of new faces. Welcome. Um, I'm going to do a really brief introduction to some tropic, and then I'm going to give you a little taste of some of the modules that we cover before I introduce you to Tyson. Um, and so, uh, Centropic, uh, Centropic world is, um, our, our entire intention is to create a world where Centropic enterprise is the way we engage in business in the world. Uh, and so, Centropy, uh, the word is uh, a, a word that was uh, created essentially by Bucky Fuller, who's been my mentor since my mid-20s, so over 30 years. And, uh, and syntropy is the opposite of entropy. Entropy um, is the second law of thermodynamics, which Tyson, our guest, speaks about a lot in his book. But um, entropy is the second law of thermodynamics that says that we are in a degenerative universe. And Bucky always argued that we were actually in a syntropic universe, so that we were moving towards a higher order for an eternally regenerative universe. And he spent his life dedicated to creating models and, and structures and so on um, that animated syntropy. Uh, and so when, um, when I've, I've been a, a dedicated student of his work for over um, 30 years, as I said, and what I've done is I've applied his models, um, which are essentially the laws inherent in nature to enterprise design and human coordination. And, um, you know, the beautiful thing, when I read Tyson's book, Sand Talk, um, when I read that, um, you know, the, the, just the, the, the similarity um, between the work that we're doing, the language is, is slightly, you know, is definitely different. But the similarity is just beautiful and, uh, and you know, just um, makes my heart sing. Um, but of course it would be because the laws inherent in nature enable human and um, all Earth and all creature thriving. And so a centropic enterprise is um, an enterprise is a human endeavor. Um, and that means it can be from a solo person to a, uh, um, a community group, to an NGO, to a, uh, a partnership, whatever it is, even a family can, can really commit to centropy. It literally, that's an, to an enterprise. It means to leave everything better for our coming together, to do things together. And, you know, the only way things happen is in the world is, is um, for humans to actually get up and act and do things together. Uh, and so uh, part of what we're doing is literally rethinking 
how we can create a world that supports uh, Earth and all her creatures. And, uh, and so um, Bucky would say, don't try and change the current models, create new models that make the existing models obsolete, and then argue with the model. So what we're doing at Centropic, uh, in Centropic World is we're working to create new ways of being in, uh, in enterprise for a world with a future. Um, that essentially is applying the laws inherent in nature to enterprise design and human coordination. And we do that, um, we, you know, we, uh, I teach a masterclass. Um, we've got some graduates and some masterclass participants on this call, uh, which is kind of like the foundational principles. But at no point am I declaring that the stuff that we teach in the masterclass is the end. You know, for me, it's just the seed generator. And what we're doing is creating a community of practice of people who are very committed uh, to applying the working laws of universe to how we actually do things in the world as humans. Uh, and, um, and so, you know, new maps, new models, um, new ways of being, uh, no more rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic is, is the expression that I use. Um, let's build an entire new boat essentially in that model um, or, or, you know, really recognize that we are, are all inhabitants of spaceship Earth. And, uh, and so um, it is our home planet, we need to take care of it. So that's kind of a little bit of a background. Um, you know, I really encourage you to um, have a look at the websites in the Tropic World. There's lots of different ways that people can participate. Uh, we never have um, a, a financial fee be a, 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 um, a, an obstruction to participation. Um, uh, because we use a, a methodology called synergistic accounting, which considers value in at least six domains versus one domain of money. And uh, we really hold that as um, uh, a core principle of how we work. But what I'm going to do today, just give you a sort of a, like a brief overview before I hand over to Tyson, is I'm just going to give you one of the core models of what we um, work with. And that is the model of clean communication. So to give you a little bit of context, who's ever had a conversation with someone and you've left it and there's been murkiness? It hasn't felt like there's been a, there's been a something, a murky, a bad taste in your mouth, a charge, a, it doesn't sit right. Uh, yeah. And so <laughs> when in, in a centropic enterprise, we create a, a threshold crossing, which we akin to a cell membrane, uh, a way of engaging with each other um, that is a set of principles and how we engage. And clean communication for me is one of the foundational pieces of engagement. And so in a very simple way, um, you can see my drawing is astounding. Um, in a very simple way, if we have two humans, person A and person B, I know that's really an old way of doing this, but we have person A and person B, and they're in communication. So we have this flow of communication, um, can be verbal, nonverbal, whatever form, but between these people. And for the example that I'm going to use here around clean communication is let's just say that person A says something using words to person B. And person A in this case is innocent. They were had no intention to say something that was inappropriate to attack, to, to offend, any of that sort of stuff. They say something to person B, but for whatever reason, 
based on a set of circumstances, context, past history, past trauma, for whatever reason, person B registers that as a charge in the communication. So I want you to think back to a time when you had a conversation, it could have even been today, and there's been a residue in the, in the flow of communication. There's been something that has, it's usually, you feel it in your body, you feel it in, in um, and, it, and it can be very, very small. And, and part of the reason that we have clean communication is sort of like a foundational piece is that as a commitment to clean communication, it means that we never let anything escalate beyond the very small um, because we know what happens when we don't address it. So you get a, a essentially a ripple in the field of the communication. At this stage, person A is potentially still innocent, but person B is carrying this charge. Now, what we have to do, of course, is we have to give community of support around how a person B can come back and have that conversation because a lot of people are conflict averse or don't have high levels of um, communication skills. But if there is a commitment to this, then it's person B's responsibility to do what person B needs to do to remove the charge. That may mean they need to go and sit in their own smelly space and figure out that they're the problem because, you know, sometimes the charge is us. It's not anybody else. Uh, it may mean that they need to come back to person A and say something along the lines of, John, when you said this to me yesterday, what did you mean? Because I heard this and I'm not sure that's what you mean. Whatever it is, the, the commitment is for person B to ensure that that charge is neutralized. Everyone following me? Yeah? And so what happens in normal human relationships, and I'm sure we've all been here, is that person B will register this charge and they'll do nothing about it. Um, but it'll sit there and it can be really tiny. It can be <clears throat> a minute um, experience. But if we're like most humans, we come back into the conversation and I'm coming back into the conversation looking for evidence that this actually happened. So my way of approaching the next level of the conversation or the next interaction is the field has changed because I'm different because I'm carrying this charge. I'm going to be different anyway, but I'm carrying this charge. And so I'm going to look for evidence that person A has, you know, is saying something and I may or may not find it. But what commonly happens, as you know, is that this thing gets bigger and bigger and we carry it and we carry it in our biology, we carry it in our being uh, and quite often we carry it with multiple people simultaneously. And so there, there comes a, a tipping point and it can be with person A or it can be with the complete stranger uh, where a, an inciting incident happens and we get an explosion. Person B loses it. Who's ever done that? Who's ever lost it? <laughs> <laughs> and you've realized that actually, you know, it just wasn't for the reason that you think. And so the, the principle of clean communication is a, is a commitment um, to a community of practice that says, 
I'm going to be responsible to, for ensuring that the field in between my relationships is clean. If I need help, if I need to put my hand up and ask for help as to how to have that conversation, uh, coaching on how to you know, do the difficult, the, the difficult conversations or to step into a space that I'm nervous, then the community enables that to happen. Uh, because that's built into the community by into the centropic enterprise, you know, the community by design. But if I, you know, I want you to imagine a world where if everyone, if everyone on this call was committed to this level of uh, um, clean communication in your own family, your own enterprise, your own being, I want you to imagine how much less load you will be carrying because this stuff costs it costs us it has an enormous cost it has an, a cost in society um, in so many ways and and uh, so yeah this not having that be part of your psyche or your being is one of the most extraordinary experiences because you're not carrying the load the charge the the, the history the back the the story whatever it is that plugs you in so you're not going to have one of those experiences where you're walking down the street and you see John and it's like I'm going into the shop because I don't want to face John because there's you know there it is it's right there and everyone knows that experience as well and so if we if we look at this from the point of uh, the actual cost I just want you to imagine this is hypothetical, but just imagine for a moment that every day, all of us at midnight in your time zone, every one of us gets a drop of 100 units of clean energy. You know, the energy that has me stand up here and talk, the energy that has you sitting here and listening, the energy that has us take care of our, our homes and our families and all that sort of stuff, that, you know, that, that type of energy. Just imagine that we get a clean drop of 100 units of energy every night, everybody, it's a very egalitarian society. Everyone gets the same, right? What are we spending that on? We're spending that energy on life and all of that sort of stuff. But if you have a charge, if you're carrying relational charge, and I want you to think about that, how much of your 100 units of energy is being invested in that? And many of you would know that when you have really complex, confronting personal issues or issues with governments or politicians or whatever it is, you know, the chart of that 100 units, we can be spending 80 or even, you know, more, 120 going into debt of that energy on that relationship. And so what clean communication is designed to do as a as a community of practice is have us not be um, not have the potentiality of us as humans in relationship with each other to spend the enormous amount of time in this very very um, murky place so that's kind of like a high level overview of, um, of clean communication. And just before we jump to Tyson, if anyone has any questions, um, I can't see everybody on the screen because there's a few people here, but um, if you have a question, just um, either raise your hand if I can see you or unmute and just ask away. And if there's no questions, we'll jump straight to Tyson.
Any questions on this clean communication? Anyone? So uh, that's which is fine. You don't need to. But I, I want you to consider the power of this. I know how powerful it is. Um, you know, it's a commitment I make in my own life. Um, is uh, I don't want to be carrying the load of yesterday um, into my future. And so this is, you know, that that's that's essentially what um, uh, this type of commitment means. I'd rather have that that freedom of being than uh, be afraid of having the conversation because that's more important to me. No question? Christine, can I? Yeah, Christine, can I ask? Um, yes. It's Neil. So yes. um, if, if you say, um, I can be quite direct and I can speak the truth, which can have a consequence um, and it might have a fallout of a relationship, you know, but for, for me in those, in those situations, it was like, I kind of had to speak the truth to protect myself. Um, but then that can cause a falling away, clear communication. Or is there stuff there that needs to be cleaned up, do you think? Or is, is that okay? <laughs> so back to this, uh, there's another, another richer element to this, which is you're responsible for the, for the, the result of your communication. Um, and and so if you're if you're speaking truth, uh, and this goes into all of the other stuff that we touch on with uh, within um, centropic enterprise, you know the, the masterclass and so on, is you need to be aware of the processional effect of that, the field effect of that, and have consummate consideration of that. So if you're if you're speaking truth, um, and this is you know obviously development and awareness, you need to speak it in service to the other because if you're speaking it from your own place of i want this or this is um you know it's a um it's a narcissistic type of response this is all about me and my universe um then you're actually going to create a uh um a greater feel of consequence that if you're speaking from a higher service to the betterment of the quality of the relationship so I, you know, I'm a huge fan of speaking truth, but what we have to learn, those of us who are fairly blunt, is we have to learn to refine the instrument so that our speaking potentially elevates versus um, diminishes. Is that all right, Neve? Yeah, that's great, thank you. Yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna hand over to Tyson. Um, I'm just gonna give a like a preliminary, I think, um, Oh, I, I think it was through Douglas Rooshkopf's um, interview, Tyson, that I, I came across your uh, work. And um, I read a lot of uh, my you know, books, but um, I have to say that this, um, I, I challenge people to read Tyson's book and not be transformed at a biological level. And, um, and so, you know, there's a, there's a, um, there's a, a depth and dimensionality that you, you're writing from Tyson, in my experience, that is really, really profound. And uh, and so um, I'm so grateful that you're on the call, and I'm so grateful that you're doing the work that you're doing in the world. And uh, and I'm so grateful that 
um, your voice is uh, supporting the inherent wisdom of whatever it is, 60,000 or more um, years of uh, humans really thriving in um, the land that I'm standing in right now. So over to you. All right. Well, how are you all going? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm speaking from uh, Bunurong country here in Melbourne. Um, yeah, I'd like to pay respects to the country everywhere where you all are and apologize for all these interruptions that are going to happen with my kids walking in every 30 seconds. Hey, so, um, yeah, I love what you're doing. I, I, I really like the, the, the way you've got, um, you know, different, um, reimaginings of value and, and a whole stack of value there that's coming into your accounting. Um, yeah, and we all love the rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic metaphor. Eh? <laughs> Sometimes I feel like most people are still trying to organize the committee to decide who's going to be the boss of um, rearranging the deck chairs. <laughs> Although I don't get to see that because I'm in the boiler room. Um, the engines have stopped, but I still have to keep shoveling this bloody coal. And I'm like, hey, can I stop shoveling this coal now? The engines are off and this place is filling up with water. And it's like, no, keep shoveling. <laughs> so from there, you know, um, which is a position that a lot of us are in, you know, from there, it's so bold uh, to be reimagining a, a new way of doing things. Um, you know, and, and I, I'm really excited about this process of change making that's not about, um, you know, trying to tweak the system that is to try and make it more fair. Um, I always say it's a bit like trying to make a dog vegan. You know, it's, it's a nice idea, but you know, uh, that dog's either going to die or it's going to eat you. <laughs> and they're the only two things that are going to happen there. <laughs> um, or he's going to run off and grab a steak somewhere. Um, I tell you, it's just, yeah, it's not a system that can be tweaked or changed or made north, uh, more fair. And um, the other thing, though, is it, it doesn't really like having other, other paradigms around. If it can't absorb that paradigm and then just take the branding and then continue with business as usual, it will uh, destroy you. <laughs> it will crush you like a bug. Now, a lot of, um, um, you know, Douglas Rushkoff, Jim Rutt, all those sort of uh, people who are, you know, theorizing, you know, for a change towards a completely uh, different system. You know, um, a lot of them, I, I've heard them described as, as, as like people who are too old to play Dungeons and Dragons anymore and, and theorizing about, about the changes that need to happen. But some of the good ideas that have come out around that, um, uh, for example, uh, I've, I've heard that, um, you know, you're not going to be able to just have this grow this paradigm that's clearly better than the other one. So it replaces it um, because the original paradigm is going to destroy you. It doesn't like competition. Um, you know, I, uh, so what you need to do is be, um, well, what you're doing really, basically, you know, um, gathering community around and allowing that emergence to happen, but uh, make your, paradigm such a generative space that it is it's generating things and creating things it's no threat yet but it's creating things that are of use 
to the dying system, to the the dog that is trying to pretend to be vegan. Um, you know, creating things like that. I often think the the uh, the Jewish diaspora is a really good example of that. You know that they're able to continue in this uh, constantly evolving, um, beautiful ancient culture within other countries, like host countries, and that they're doing that. And that's tolerated because they're producing great things. You know, we like watching Seinfeld. You know, <laughs> we like Billy Crystal. So it's like, yeah, all right, that's great. Well, these guys are creating lovely things for us. And, you know, everything's, everything's lovely. Um, so that's allowed, you know. Um, not everybody's thrilled about it, of course, but you get that. Um, so... Anyway, a few more minutes. Um, there were these two sisters, right? And so they're, um, they're hunting bonefish. And bonefish, you can only catch at night. So they're out in a canoe. Um, this is right up in oh, Western Cape York. They're out in a canoe at night. They've got um, paper bark uh, torches. And the flame attracts the bonefishes up to the side of the um, the boat where the women spear them and put them in the boat. And they've got the canoe is just full of these bonefish. But then they see one big shiny one way out, further out. Um, what they don't realize is that's the reflection of the moon. So they decide they're going to paddle out and get that one last big one. And what happens to that moon reflection? on the ocean is that in one empirical location or does that shift according to your perception and your location like we know it shifts but they went chasing that illusion that they could catch that one and so of course they were lost and they were taken up and you can see them the shadows in the moon that you see on that full moon you can see them there that's those two sisters and they're stuck there forever you know this is the thing with communication. I mean, we're, we're all standing on the same beach and we might be looking at that moon over the beach, but where is that moon reflection? It's different for each of us, depending on where we're standing. If you're standing 20 meters that way, you're seeing that moon reflection in a completely different place to where I'm seeing it. So where is it? Of all the hundreds of people on that beach, who has the right truth? You know, when they're communicating with someone else about that moon reflection, um, what's the purpose of the communication? Am I trying to make sure my story is dominating yours? Or is the aggregate of all the stories of all the people on that beach, is that a better approximation of the truth? Because I think if you've got everybody talking about where they see the moon, eventually you all arrive at the truth, which is that that moon reflection is everywhere. That reflected moon is right across the entire ocean and it's lighting it up all at once. But from one point, you can only see one part of it. Um, so I think that that's, um, that's kind of the secret to good communication, I think, is that the truth is in the aggregate of all the stories and your stories need to come alongside each other. Uh, the other thing, particularly about indigenous communication is that it's highly contextual. The context is important. And usually the context is understood. And in the communication, um, 
everybody knows what the context is. So there's a bit of an economy of words. Uh, the difficulty with communicating in the world now is that we don't all share the same context. And our contexts bring baggage. So if person B is a male um, and person A is a female, it might not be a good idea for him to start mansplaining back <laughs> about how she was wrong <laughs> with the charge. Like maybe he just needs to take that charge on the chest and listen better because that's her perception in that moment. And, um, you know, and <laughs> he needs to be able to see her perception. So all these relational things, the same thing on that beach. So uh, if a Samoan person is standing on that beach, um, and they're standing at the water's edge, they're understanding the space, the place in between, the relation in between their feet and the sand. And then the water washes up over their feet and they're understanding the relation between those three things, their body and the sand and the water. And that relation, that point in between, that in-between space, that relational space where true communication takes place, the someone's call that va. And that's your first lesson that you learn about va as a toddler standing on the beach. And there are five stages, five levels of knowledge you go through in understanding va. And it's that like Nora Bateson's warm data. It's that idea of the knowledge being carried in the relationship between things. So I guess if person A and person B, if their relation is not right, their communication is not going to be right either. And I think, yeah, you need short term fixes for that. Um, just to be able to communicate without killing each other and to get the job done. But then A and B, they need to work on their relationality with each other. Something that goes beyond empathy that comes to actually, you know, B understands A because B realizes that he is A and that A is B and that their, <laughs> their relation is a single entity um, that, that carries truth. And they're both existing in a complex context that they're um, trying to understand better. Um, yeah, I love what you're doing. I'm loving your work. It's really exciting. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's my 10 minutes, I believe. Well, thank you. Um, and I'm, we're not going to let you go yet. <laughs> uh, um, I think everyone can sense uh, why um, I was deeply affected by sand talk and um, uh, and just you know the important contribution of this work to the world uh, and so so thank you for that Tyson so um, we are going to open it up for, um, for a couple of people to ask questions um, so we've got about 10 minutes of that um, is anyone does anyone want to raise their hand um, I can't see all of you on the screen normally I get people to raise their hand but just unmute yourself and we'll manage this if you have a question for Tyson Christine, it's Nikki. Yeah, go ahead, Nikki. Uh, Tyson, I'm, my husband and I live out um, on, on land in um, Queensland. And I, you know, I love the Indigenous concept of putting land first. And, and the communication you were talking about, then I'm really curious around how the communication happens with the land, that, that reciprocity aspect of that. 
Sorry. Yeah, that's a huge topic. <laughs> that's a few days. But, you know, the land is the source of the law and the law is the thing that, um, that frames all of your relationality um, together. And that's in the landscape. And it is a living substance that flows through you. So you're in constant communication with that. Um, yeah. And you, you have, uh, you know, and it's something else that you said, Christine, before, you know, that, that the, our habitat, our context, our relationships, um, you know, all of these things inform our structures for how we, you know, go, we're almost in this biomimicry. Um, Look, if, there, if there's one thing that as a species we detest and abhor, it's a permanent hierarchy. We don't like centralized authority. Um, as a species, we just don't like it. We're happy for temporary hierarchies to emerge in a particular context. You know, so if you're walking on country and that's that old lady's country, then she speaks for that and what we can do there. But then we cross the river and we're on uncle's country. Uncle's not there, but his nephew's there. So suddenly there's a 12 year old boy who's boss for a couple of hours while we're doing that there. You know, um, this idea is that leadership is a kind of uh, dynamic subordination um, where, the, where the roles shift and the authority shifts, you know, in the context of whatever it is that you're doing. Um, it's in these ways that land and being an embedded part of the landscape uh, shapes our our social structures, um, but it more than just shapes them. They're just they're not separate things, you know. Until the ancient Greeks invented the idea of nature, there was no separation between the concept of society and nature. We didn't have separate abstract ideas or words for those things. No humans did, you know. Um, that was one thing society our society and our structures and everything else were not separate from nature and they never have been until very recently it's just been experiments with that over the last 10,000 years <laughs> but yeah very good thank you um any other questions uh lasinka you have a question uh lasinka then murray yeah make sure everyone keeps their question tight please thanks You got it, Lucinka? Yeah, we can't hear you. Hey. <laughs> I'm going to go to Murray first um, while you get that sorted. Murray? Yeah. Uh, sure, I'll just jump in real quick. Um, Tyson, uh, thanks heaps for um, sharing, mate. I, one thing I uh, really took from your book um, that I, I really, I mean, far out, I connected with a lot, um, but um, as someone who's moved up here to beautiful Yugambeh country, but um, feels like my heart is still very much back in Melbourne, um, I, I really felt a lot of your pain in, in moving around and, 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 and the, the, the sense of not quite making peace with needing to go to work on a tram. I loved that, that, uh, that, that phrase. I missed that. <laughs> I missed that experience, but I wondered if you had any tips for anyone who is 
living away from, I, I guess a lot of us now are sort of feeling torn and torn away from our, our usual home, but I'm, I really connected with your experience and your words of living somewhere for convenience or for work, but knowing that you are meant to be somewhere yeah. else. Yeah. But that's, uh, that's not a helpful thought to keep having in my head. It's not making me happy or well, you know, um, crappy things happen. Uh, humans, when we're optimally doing what we're supposed to do in our ecological niche, we're the most adaptive species there is. And we're amazing. We can adapt to anything and we can accept anything. <laughs> we can accept things. We can accept the most horrendous, and turbulent circumstances and we can still find joy in life that way and that's because of our particular gift of meaning making now trauma doesn't happen when you're removed from the landscape or removed from your family or a family member's removed from you or somebody's killed or you get hit really hard on the head that's not when the trauma happens that's just a thing the trauma is your failure to make meaning about those circumstances so um, I'm failing to make meaning about my undesirable circumstance of being somewhere I don't want to be. Um, and so that's why I'm experiencing trauma about it. It's not the fact that I'm here. <laughs> the fact that I'm here is fine. That's just some different circumstances I need to adapt to. I'm refusing to adapt to it because I'm refusing to make meaning out of it because there's things that I don't want to face in that. <laughs> there's, I've, I've set myself up in this oppositional relation you know to this civilization and there's um there's there's ideas in that that i'm attached to that i don't want to let go of yet and that's just pure narcissism and that's a denial of reality and in refusing to accept the reality and make the meaning that i'm supposed to make from it i'm experiencing trauma but everyone's going through that because we have worldwide we have a uh you know the meaning crisis the crisis of meaning because for so long we've outsourced that meaning making to institutions who say that they're going to tell us what the meaning is and they've been giving us that meaning for a long time and it's been really nice <laughs> but now we can't trust them anymore and they're all collapsing and they're all corrupt and we don't know where the meaning is coming from anymore so we're a b person a b person back and left and right and none of that communication is clean but the trauma we're feeling from that is just our failure to make meaning of it. Very nicely said. Thank you. Uh, Lysenka, are you able to? Yes. Yeah, I'm fine. Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. Great. Lovely. Oh, extremely interesting. Thank you so much. Um, at a certain point, um, you said that um, when a child uh, or any of us is standing at the shore, you know, then we're standing on sand and then the wave comes and there's a relationship between our foot and, and the water and the sand. <clears throat> and um, you said there were five principles that a child learns. I was wondering, could you mention them briefly? Ah, they're not mine. That, that's Samoan people. You have to talk to someone about them. Ah, they okay. have, it's not five principles. It's five levels of knowledge that you oh, accumulate okay. over a lifetime about about that relational space 
where all the knowledge, all the knowledge sits in the spaces in between. You know, okay. the foot is not important. The sand is not important. The water is not important. But the, the relation, the relational space in between those things, that's what creation is made of. That's what knowledge is made of. Um, that's, that's where everything lies. <laughs> Great. Thank you. Yeah. Very nice. Um, maybe uh, one more very quick question. Um, you need to unmute, but it needs to be very quick. And then we're sort of handing over to Sarah. I'm thinking Sarah's still here. Anyone else got a Christine. Christine. Yes. John Brisbane. Yes. Very yeah. quick. Yeah. Tyson, we came over here as a colonizing species. There's nothing unless you need colonists in a in an ecosystem for it to be complete. So I, I, I've got nothing against colonists. I'm, I'm fine with feral pigs and toads. It's butt ugly, but that's just the way it is. So making meaning out of things, how do we refer to ourselves as some of us turn our ourselves? I'm not indigenous, I'm not first person. What's the next term that we can use to describe that state of heart? It's, I, I think you can't design language. Like everything else, it has to emerge like the systems that uh that christine is is um is working with right now you know she's not uh, just designing them out of her head or out of a committee you know it's an act of emergence you know and anything that is going to work like all complex dynamic uh dynamic systems you know all you can do is foster the conditions for emergence and allow those patterns to come out uh, it's the same with language so um you know half of people in the world haven't got anything to call themselves right now because they've been completely displaced uh, from culture and from meaning everything, you know, but <laughs> those things will emerge in time. And um, I mean, you could make up a term for this time and place, but uh, you know, that time and place is going to change. The context will change and that term won't fit anymore. It's um, the branding is, is just uh uh, it's an exercise in futility. <laughs> You've just got to let your, um, all these emergent identities, we just have to foster them and allow them to come out as, as they will. Um, yeah, but as soon as we start trying to put labels and then police those labels, it's the most dangerous thing in the world. And I guess I'll finish on that is the, you know, it's great to have an idea and a system, but the moment you start to think, wow, this, I have to scale this. Everybody should know about this. Everybody should think like this. Uh, the minute you do that, you're lost and everything's lost. Um, that's the source of all human misery. <laughs> uh, thank you for that answer. Uh, so I've just been informed that Sarah, um, she's in Malawi at the moment and her connection is not working for her. She might be there now. I'll just double check um, that she's, um, Sarah, if you're there, can you speak? <laughs> um, you know, the te technology works for you or it doesn't work for you. Um, if she can't make it, um, I know um, Tyson has to go to another call very soon, but if you can't, you might be able to answer a couple more questions, but that's on you, Tyson. But, um, Sarah, are you there? Can you speak? Sounds not. So, um, which is a shame. Um, Sarah's doing amazing work in uh, in 
reforestation of Tanzania, working with um, governments and communities and the indigenous communities. They've got a whole project there and everything else like that. So she's very dedicated to a sort of um, a restoration of habitat um, that goes back for most of her life. So I'm sorry that she's not able to speak at the moment. I know she'll be crushed. Um, but anyway, what we might do is um, we might... Uh, get her to, I might uh, have a conversation with her or get her an opportunity and everybody can get the, uh, the, um, the, uh, her story and background. Um, she's been part of um, Centropic community uh, since May. Um, and, you know, we're really excited by what's happening in Tanzania. So Tyson, I know you've got to go soon, but can, can you answer a couple more questions? Are you okay with that? You, you can- Yeah, you for can, sure. You let me know. Um, um, when well, look, I probably the, 11th the last possible minute it would be about five two okay so i can i can yeah go along to whatever you need yeah, well, we'll manage that so um people you have this unique opportunity to ask more questions of tyson i'm sure you um can uh, see that they're um worthy of asking so who would like to ask tyson another question yeah go, gina. gina go gina Hey Tyson, good hey, to uh, connect with you. Um, I loved your book as well. It's uh, it's really inspiring. I come from a holistic wellness background and uh, really interested in energy medicine and stuff and that whole kind of new science perspective. And I just wanted to see your the the, the connections there with the new science. And I know that there's um, the languaging is is something that is emerging and. Um, I'm just curious to uh, to understand it from your perspective as well. So I'm, I'm in the Chinese medicine, and so the whole bit of Taoism and shamanism and um, the quantum space is really interesting to me. So mm. it's all related, and I know it's all the same. But yeah. I just want to hear from it's, you. It's it's hard to even begin to talk about that without understanding what the the project of Westernism has been. And the project of building, particularly the Anglosphere. So it's not just Westernism, but it's it's a it's it's that particular brand, Anglo brand of Westernism. Um, and the 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 overarching theme of that, and you can't even say European because European languages conceive things in different ways. But you know, the English word for universe is like uni one, and verse, which is from vertere in Latin, which means turned into you know, become, to become. So the whole concept of the universe, even in English, is becoming one. But that's what the universe was before the Big Bang. So there's this um, really weird Ouroboros snake eating its tail imperative that everything has, to, everything has to be entropically reduced down to its simplest form and thus destroyed. But there's this idea that that order will come from that chaos so the idea, and you see this uh, coming out very strongly in the intellectual dark web at the moment, which is the next thing that I'm going to. Um, I've got to do an interview with that mob. Um, they weren't happy with my last one. <laughs> so I've got to redo it in a way that's sort of sounding more favorable about it. But um, you know, there's this, there's this overwhelming desire to respond to the crisis of meaning with more you know, uh, knowledge imperialism, the idea that we have to create a unified narrative. There has to be a unified field, a unified narrative for the globe, 
and everybody's got to come into that. We, there must be an objective truth, and we need to all calm down and look at that one truth and do it that way. Um, but it's never really been like that. So back at the start of medicine, uh, you know, there was there was the allopathic school and then the the rest, the more naturopathic kind of thing. So medicine for most of human history has been plant medicine. And allopathic medicine, it's not, um, it come out of the same thing. <laughs> it's just really funny. So you see like, um, you know, people, uh, Bayer, like, you know, uh, takes that indigenous knowledge of willow bark for pain relief. And then they start making aspirin and mass manufacturing it out of that, you know. Um, and then they figure out ways to synthesize those compounds to replicate them in a lab and then to create synthetic aspirin from that. So, I mean, it's kind of just really an economic division. Um, but then the problem is that you're um, all of a sudden, all other medicine is alternative. It's alternative me medicine. So it attracts marginal people who are not very rigorous. You know, they, they, they tie dye and they, <laughs> you know, um, so people who are just like, yeah, I'm a child of the universe and you know, I'm going to get some crystals and sell these bush flower essences. Um, I haven't really done any, you know, control studies or anything on it. I haven't really figured it out. Uh, but yeah, we're going to do that. Yeah, no, that'll fix your um, heart disease. Don't worry about it. Um, so you end up with two sort of schools of thought that and neither of them are quite getting there. You know, the term holistic is as misused as the term sustainability. You know, solar panels aren't sustainable. They're like, <laughs> they're horrendous. <laughs> Horrific amounts of damage. They need rare earth metals. And the production of that produces radioactive waste. You might as well just have a nuclear power plant. You know, um, solar panels aren't sustainable. The internet of things is not going to make things sustainable because you can, you can save 12% of water use in a, in a goddamn smart city or something. That's not sustainable. <laughs> and most of what's passed off as holistic is not holistic either, you know, because all other alternative medicine, it only defines itself in opposition to Western medicine and to modern medicine. And that's how it defines itself, which that's what a pseudoscience is. If you can't outline your entire scientific ethos without mentioning the thing that you're <laughs> in opposition to, then you don't have a science and you don't have a body of knowledge. All you have is a knee jerk reaction against power. Um, and I think that's where a lot of us are tied up. Most of the world's ideologies, most of the bodies of knowledge are all polluted by this uh, little power struggle between assholes and people who used to not be assholes, but now are. Like everyone's an asshole now. <laughs> We've all, you know, probably none of us here have read The Art of the Deal by Donald Trump, but we've all done the workshop, you know. And, and we're all doing that. That's how we're communicating now. The art of the deal, basically, you go in and you make insane, conflicting, impossible demands. Lots of them. Not just requests, demands. That's how you negotiate. And demands with threats and lots of insults. You act absolutely insane until every, nobody knows which way is up. 
and then you put what you actually wanted on the table. And even if it's excessive, everybody will be so relieved that they'll accept it. And he wrote that, he wrote that in his book. Anyway, he's taken us through the workshop for a few years and now we're all doing it. Every single one of us, including me, you know, indigenous knowledge, <laughs> Sam talked how indigenous knowledge can save the world is, <laughs> is such an overreach of what the ideas in that book is. It's, yeah. it's the art of the deal. Um, because that's the only way we can communicate now is, um, is just through absolute insanity. It's the only way I, it's how I communicate with my kids now. How about you? Honestly, looking at your relationships, A to B, you know, everything is charged. Everything has that charge. Even if it's not there, it's there because that's our context. Now, all of our contexts are charged. People can't talk to each other. <laughs> I can't talk to you, Gina. <laughs> I'm, I'm just look at me dominating the conversation here. Yeah. I'm just mansplaining stuff to you. You know, that's the charge. That's the context we're in, you know, and, um, and you're just being irrational. <laughs> you're being a libtard or a, I don't know, <laughs> you know, an SJW. There's a thousand different brands and labels, you know, getting back to that last question, everybody has a thousand names <laughs> and none of them fit. Yeah. I'm going to ask her, I'm going to take the privilege of um, asking you a question um, based on this so that we can circle. Oh, that'd be your white privilege. Yeah, that'd be my white privilege. Yeah, my yeah, that, that's the charge. I just charged you, eh? Uh, no, I've... Uh, B? Sorry, you're B. Yeah. Uh, um, so, it's like, you know, what is your... You've you published this book, um, which is a... Truly, a testament to um, your body of work. So, what is it that your what is your your animating impulse to act towards something that isn't what you're just? Mm. Yeah, well, uh, the animating impulse of the book was that my woman wanted to get married and she didn't want to have a crappy old wedding. I was like happy to just get some sign a bit of paper and have some sandwiches on the steps, but she wants to have a proper wedding. You know, and they offer me a five thousand dollar advance, and I'm like, "Well, that's going to pay for the wedding. No worries." Um, yeah, and then COVID. Yeah, <laughs> so no wedding anyway. Um, yeah, that was my animating impulse. It was just, oh shit. Well, what do you write? Oh, you write what you know about. Oh well, I got this twenty years of yarns here behind me. I could just probably put some of them down. Um, yeah, so I did that. Um, but but also I guess it's also tr it's trying to get those um, uh, messages from the old people out into the world, which I, I was doing anyway. But I was doing it through yarns like this, and you know that uh, knowledge that's in the book that's that's not living knowledge. That's just a snapshot of where that body of knowledge was a year ago uh, for a two week period. Yeah. Um, but where it is now is in a completely different place. I've barely mentioned anything in the book now because the yarn has gone beyond that content, you know, all these yarns I'm having, that's where the knowledge is. Um, and uh, not me, even most of the yarns are, I'm not even present. I'm, I'm not there. People are yarning and they're doing things with it and they're building things. They're building, you know, um, 
you know, climate change models and, you know, alternative accounting systems. I've seen a couple, you know, um, like, yeah, people are building different platforms there. You know, they're, they're doing things within their collectives and rearranging things around. And, and there's all these yarns coming out. That's, it's gone much further than I could have imagined with my tiny brain. Um, yeah, and that's, that's what's good. Very and true. the other thing is, uh, I've talked to so many people who read the book, and I've never yet seen two people who read the same book. <laughs> you know, everybody, like people just project <laughs> their own stuff on there. And, um, you know, they come up and, oh, that bit where you said, and I'm like, oh, I don't remember saying that. Um, yeah, everybody's had, has a completely different experience because the book's like that. The idea is that you're bringing your stories alongside, you know, uh, the stories in the book. You're bringing your stories. So it's 50% at least you. And uh, everybody reads a different book when they read that one. And I like that. Well, thank you very much. I, I'm going to be honouring of your time to the next call. Um, so thank you for staying the extra bit and, uh, and uh, answering those questions. And yeah, no worries. And, uh, it's a shame we didn't get to go to Tanzania. Yeah. I always wanted to go there. I'm really sorry about that. But um, yeah. we have to, we have to um, move with what emerges. <laughs> hey. Hey. So thank you, Tyson. I, um, you're welcome to um, go to your next call. I'll just wrap this up. Um, for everybody um, that, yeah, really appreciate you taking the time. All right. So, yes, <laughs> lovely, lovely. All right, yeah. see you all later. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we have, oh, uh, Tyson, oh, he's gone. Um, I was going to say, we have um, uh, Jeremy Lent. I, I'm not sure if any of you are familiar with um, the, um, uh, the book, the Patterning Instinct, which was one of my other very favorite books in the last um, five years. Uh, so Jeremy Lent, who's the author of that, um, is going to be on a call, I think in November with us, or maybe, um, yeah, I think it's November. Um, and I'm one of the things that I haven't mentioned to Tyson is I'm hoping to get uh, Rob Smith. Some of you were on the previous call with Rob. Um, Rob Smith from Integral Life. Um, Jeremy Lent and Tyson onto a conversation together because Jeremy's work is around how um, human identity came through culture, and uh, and you know that there's such brilliance in there. And so I am uh, are holding a space. He doesn't know that, but I'm holding a space that we can get the three of those into a conversation uh, to really look at um, human development, um, the indigenous space, and the cultural development of humanity. Anyway, I'll keep you posted. But uh, Jeremy's going to be on the call in November. We have um, um, some amazing people lined up. Um, Sir Jonathan Porritt, who's just published Hope in Hell um, in the UK, um, thanks to Cindy Forge. Um, yeah, so we've got some incredible people. But this is a way for you to get an experience of what we're doing in the Centropic world. It is an emergent um, entity. Um, uh, we're creating it every moment, and it changes every day. Uh, but we have this beautiful global community of people around the world that are doing great things. And um, uh, so do check out the, uh, the website. And if it feels like um, something that is appropriate to you, uh, we would welcome your participation or in any way, you know, whatever that looks like. Uh, there you go. Thank you very much for joining us. Sorry we couldn't do the schedule, but uh, that's the way the, uh, the world works. And um, Many blessings to you. Have a good day for those people in the Northern Hemisphere. Have a good evening for people in Australia. And we hope to see you again.
If you loved this episode, then please do visit centropic.world and uh, you'll be able to gain access to uh, the many ways that we support Asyntropic World. Uh, one of those, the very simplest, is to sign the pledge, which is a one-page pledge to uh, move your enterprise to becoming Centropic. Uh, you can also subscribe to Beauty of Beginnings, which is a daily blog, short contemplations on everything Centropic, including love and life, and uh, and sign up to Centropic Silver. Uh, these are all at no charge or at pay what you can for the value received. The masterclass, uh, Centropic Enterprise Masterclass, is the is this sort of like basic way of understanding some of the principles, laws inherent in nature that we apply to enterprise design. And uh, you can uh, sign up. We've got two masterclasses coming up, one in September uh, and one in October 2020. There are eight weeks of 90 minutes per week on Zoom uh, for a global community and uh, people have uh, reported that the, these masterclasses are not only incredibly practical, but they are deeply inspirational uh, for those people who are really committed to a world with a future. So we hope you join us in some form or another, and um, thank you for being here.